Well, hello, Grace Church. What's going on? My name is Miguel. I'm one of the pastors here. So good to be with you. Whoa. I'll take it. If you're watching online, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, we are in a series called Finishers. We're looking at uh, different people in the Bible, women, men, uh, different people in the Bible who finished well, but also learning from their life. And because uh, and all of us, we really understand that so many people start, but very few people actually finish. Uh, finish what God has called them to do. And that there are things around us or things in this world that threaten uh, us uh, to finish what God's called us to finish. And so, uh, so we're doing this series called Finishers. Uh, but so often I think some of the things that threaten our life are things that are uh, really, uh, they could be external. Uh, they could be things around us or in and around our life. Maybe, maybe not directly impacting, but you can kind of feel the impact. But I would think the most uh, threatening kind of thing that occurs in our life is more internal. Um, it is more of an internal storm that actually uh, really does a lot of damage sometimes in our life. And so often we experience these internal storms that no one even knows about. Uh, storms I'm talking about that are, that are undetectable to other people. Uh, I'm talking about where you might wake up in the morning and, and you, you put your face on, but you also have to put your smile on, okay, if you know what I'm saying. Um, you kind of walk through the day like that, walk through the week, walk through the year, uh, where you kind of have to fake it till you make it kind of thing. Um, and, and we have this internal thing, again, that no one knows about. No one knows about. So I want to kind of illustrate something for you. Aren't you excited you came to church today? I want to, um, I want to illustrate something for you because oftentimes what I think happens in, in our life, and happens in my life too, uh, is that we get these pressures that occur in our life, these internal storms, internal pressures. And so, for example, um, you might get a brand new car, right? And it's great and everyone's excited about, about it and you love it, but no one really knows that you're a few payments behind, and now you're in debt. So there's this financial pressure that just occurs, and you're feeling it, right? You're feeling how intense this is, and right now you're freaking out. <laughs> I can see it, right? There's this financial pressure that takes place. But, but let, me, let me give another example. Sometimes, you know, um, people will like and comment on your new fall family photos, right? And it's beautiful, and you got the cutest family ever, and it's great. But nobody knows that your kids are drifting morally, and your marriage is on the rocks, and there's just argument after argument. And so look, at, it's just all of a sudden more pressure, more pressure. Yeah, now's your time to look away. I had to already do this once before, okay? <laughs> so we feel these pressures, and this is, this is internal. Nobody knows, right? Um, sometimes we, we will, like, like, for example, I get this a lot, where we see people who will get promotions in their jobs. And man, everyone's like congratulating them. It's like, whoa, congratulations, you got this incredible promotion. But nobody knows that you can't even sleep at night. Because this new promotion has added pressure, has added more and more pressure in your life, listen, that you can't even sleep. Because the responsibility now is so heavy. Other times there's this relationship pressure and personal things where we come to church, we put our smile on, how you doing? Blessed, brother. <laughs> right? And we have these like, how you doing? Better than I deserve, right? I had a friend in the South who always would say that. But we, we put on that kind of face, right? But nobody knows that you were just screaming at your kids and you cried all the way here, right? So you're just feeling this. 
Okay, you guys, you guys are so intense right now. <laughs> Do you feel this? But we get this pressure, and eventually it's more and more and more, and it gets to a point, you're, feel, you're feeling it. Oh, amen. Here's the thing. I hope those of you who maybe looked away, closed your ears. I wanted to make a very dramatic illustration today on this idea because what you felt before the pop is something that you feel when you're dealing with these internal pressures in your life, and no one knows it. No one knows it. See, in an actual storm, someone might hand you an umbrella, right? Someone might hand you a raft or a lifeline because they're aware of your suffering. But when nobody knows, when no one's aware, it feels like there's no comfort in this moment. And so I want to talk about the life of Peter for a moment here. I want to talk about Peter because Peter be- dealt with these like internal pressures. He, he, he walked through the, his, his, you know, the, in the gospel accounts. He's walking with Jesus. But there were so many times that Peter just dealt with these internal things, insecurities, identities, uncertainty, pride, so many times. When you look at the biographies of Jesus, that's the Gospels that we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see Peter's life. Peter was a fisherman who was called by Jesus, right? Come follow me, and and sure enough, Peter left everything he knew behind. Uh, All of his fishing career and the world of fishing, he left behind. He said, I'm going, let's go, Jesus. So Peter often had these moments where he was on again and then off again, up and down, back and forth with Jesus. He was just, there's moments where he would just be so, it was so great, right? He would confess, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then other moments, Jesus would rebuke Peter and say, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. And of course, the, the ultimate, right, the ultimate off-track moment, the, the, the time where all of a sudden he just popped, right, he just lost it, uh, was when he denied even knowing who Jesus was, when he was challenged by other people for who he really was, who Peter really was. And here's the thing, when we're experiencing this kind of internal pressure, when we have to kind of fake it through, and, and I get this, I, I've dealt with this before. I'm a person too. Pastors are people too. Write that down. I've dealt with it, and here's what ends up happening. When we are living like this, there's a tendency for, for an inconsistency to happen. There, there's a tendency for inconsistency, up and down, left and right, back and forth to happen in our life, and your soul is divided, listen, by the person you're trying to be to the world and the person you really are before God, behind closed doors when no one else is around. Your soul no longer has the integrity that is integer, this wholeness that it was created to be, to walk in that And so when you're living this way, there's this inconsistency, right? And that pop moment that happens in our life when we lose it, right? Right? Moms and dads, I get it, man. When we lose it, it doesn't take very long. It can happen in a day. But this kind of stuff occurs in our life, these internal storms that happen. 
So I want to look at this, the, the life of Peter, and I want, there's so many different areas I could have gone to in Scripture with Peter and so many moments that, that Peter had where he was just on again, off again. He was struggling. He would have the things of God in mind, and then all of a sudden he wouldn't, and, and it was just this back and forth. But I want to look at a very familiar passage where Peter is dealing with this, but he's in an actual storm, okay? And it's in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 23. Here's what it says. Immediately, Jesus made, I want you to kind of focus in on that, made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. That is the feeding of the 5,000. That just happened. So they just had the biggest chili cook-off. Just, it wasn't a chili cook-off. It was a tuna sandwich cook-off, I guess. It was fish and bread. Okay. Huge feeding of the 5,000. Big ministry just happened. Now he's dismissing the crowd. Um, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a high mountain by himself to pray. Side note, great example. Jesus is constantly withdrawing to solitary places to be with his father. He understood margin. He understood rest. But if there was anyone who had an excuse not to ever need rest and recovery, it was Jesus. But yet he does it all the time. All the time. He went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, he was, al- he was there alone. And the boat and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. This is the deadliest catch storm, man. I mean, they're in it. Some of these guys are fishermen. They get it, man. They've been here. This is an intense storm. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Notice they didn't cry out in faith. They cried out in fear. This is real, right? They are scared of the apparition walking toward them. Okay, okay. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind... He was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus, there's a lot of immediately's. Immediately's, it's as as if Jesus was like planning for this to happen the entire time. Okay. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught, caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat, that is the disciples, worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. That's the first time the disciples actually addressed Jesus as the Son of God in this moment. But did you catch the beginning of that whole passage? I just read a lot of Bible to you, okay? Uh, we're a Bible-believing church here. I just read a lot of Bibles here. But did you catch the beginning of that passage? Jesus made them get into the boat. Other translations said that he insisted that they get into the boat, knowing full well, listen, he was sending them into a storm. Let's just understand that for a moment, that just because what we're going through is hard doesn't mean God is not in it. Because Jesus also knew he was going to be in the storm with them. And here's the point. The presence of a storm doesn't mean the absence of God. Oh, man, we need to hear that. The presence of a storm does not mean the absence of God. 
Many of us and many of you here today and listening online, listen, we are like doing kingdom work. We'll start doing godly things and we're working at it, but then we stop. We don't continue. Why? Because there's a roadblock. There's a storm. There's a challenge that we're, we weren't really expecting to have and now, now we're experiencing it, right? A, a disappointment we weren't planning to get. So we get discouraged, we get afraid, and then we stop. And we think because of the storm, because it's messy, God must not be in it. I mean, we do this all the time, I, 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 and I get this process because fear overtakes, right? And perhaps we think things like this. We think, hey, uh, maybe, maybe God just isn't in this anymore. Maybe this, this massive storm that's happening in my job right now, maybe God's just not in it, so I should probably stop. You know, this massive storm in my marriage or family, maybe, maybe God's not in it anymore because there's a storm and maybe I should just stop. You know, my life, or, or I'm going through so much right now, this internal storm, it's just messy storm all the time in my life. So maybe this whole church thing is not something I should be doing. So, so maybe I just stop coming to church. And I guess so often it's like we think God's not in it because there's a storm present and we stop. But at the same time, do we not recognize that the presence of a storm actually produces the potential for the greatest miracle? It sets the platform for the greatest miracle because without the storm, there's no water walking. You get this, right? And I understand. I, I, I want to relate and empathize as much as possible because I've experienced this. I get it. It's really hard to continue when no one else wants to. It's really hard to continue when all we see is discouragement and disappointment. It's so hard to continue when our prayers are going unheard and, and our efforts are making no difference. It's so hard to just stick with it and continue. And it's in these moments, I'm reading this passage, it's, it's in these moments that, that our faith can take the biggest hit. We begin to question God's purpose and for our lives, and doubt gains a foothold in our hearts. And we ask, man, when will this season ever end? When will this storm ever stop? And so people stop short because their perspective gets blocked by a problem, a circumstance, or a storm. But let me make you a pastor promise today, okay? Here's a pastor promise for you. There will always be problems on your way to possessing the promise that God has for your life. The Israelites going to the promised land had problems. There will always be problems. Jesus promised it, that we will face trials and tribulation on this earth, in this world. There will always be problems on your way to possessing the promise that God has for your life. And the enemy, that is the devil, uses your problems, listen, to block your perspective to reroute you. And he does this all the time and he keeps you from finishing that thing that God's called you to do. And it happens all the time. What do you do when you can't see anything good in your storm? What do you do when you can't see anything? It's really hard to see in a storm and, and I get it. The, the disciples, they don't really see Jesus. They see a ghost, what they think is a ghost, right? They, they don't really see Jesus yet. They notice something and they cry out in fear. 
Sometimes, listen, we expect that God, listen, we expect that God is going to show up in our lives in a very comfortable and predictable and convenient manner. We think that. But the disciples were right there. They're right in the middle of this. They don't know who he is or what it is. And so Jesus immediately says, take courage. It's I. Do not be afraid. A better translation for those you theologians out there, it is I. The better phrasing is I am is here. Do you remember the burning bush? Moses says, hey, who should I tell? You know, when I talk to Pharaoh, who sent me? What's your name? What, what should I say? He says, I am that I am. I am the self-existing God, all eternal, everlasting to everlasting. My name is I am. Jesus right here is literally identifying with that. He's saying, I am is here. So again, whenever we say, Jesus never claimed to be God, yeah, huh? He says, I am, do not be afraid. But then Peter asks a very strange question, in my opinion. He says, if it's you, so he wants proof. If it's you, command me to come to you on the water. What a strange question, Peter. If it's me and I want proof that it's Jesus and not some crazy ghost or demon, right? I'm not going to say, ask me to come out. I'm going to say, hey, if it's you, come closer. I can't see you. You obviously know how to walk. On the water, can you come closer, right? Or how about, how about a better question would be this? Hey, if it's you, Jesus, can you stop the storm? Why not do that? Why not ask that question? Or how about this? Like, hey, hey it, Jesus, if it's you, can you improve my conditions right now? Could you bless me by turning the boat into a cruise ship with an impressive Lido deck and free ice cream for everyone to enjoy, right? Like, that's what I would have probably done, okay? Peter does not do that. He asks a very, very different kind of thing. He says, if it's you, command me to come out. Command me to come out onto the water. To step in obedience, listen, sometimes you and I have to leave our convenience. And sometimes, listen, it's the only convenience Peter, that's all he had was the boat. In that moment, it's the only convenience he had. And he left and stepped out onto that water. So watch this. So Peter asked to go further into the storm. That, that doesn't sound like a 21st century American culture Christian practice. Hey, Jesus, during this storm... Can you make it really a little harder for me, right? I mean, I mean, Peter's asking to go further into the storm where Jesus is. He's asking, I want to be a part of this, this powerful miracle that's taking place. I want to be where Jesus is. I want to do what Jesus is doing, experiencing what Jesus is experiencing. And here's the point. Sometimes we need to just not ask God to bless us and start doing what he's already blessing. Don't just ask God to bless what you're doing, but do what he's already blessing. Be a part of what he's already doing. Ask to go further into that area where he is. Jump in with hope first. Jump in with serving. Do all these things. Get involved. Be a part of what he's already blessing rather than just, hey, can you make it really, really good for me right now? Can, can, you, can you make me a cruise ship? Can, uh, can, 
Lord, I, help me to see more clearly. Lord, show me. Make it evident. Make it easy to see. He doesn't do any of those kinds of things. And again, Peter can't feel Jesus. Again, you have to put yourself in the story. He can't feel, but our culture so often is wanting to feel before they obey. But let me, again, a little side note here. It's not my notes, just a little side note. Feelings always follow obedience, not the other way around. Feelings always follow obedience. You want to feel something? Step out. Try. Have some faith and be a part of what, what Jesus is a part of. But we don't do that. We ask for clarity. Show me first. Show me first. I want to feel it first. I want to see it first. I, I, want, I want to triple check, quadruple check, all those things. And you know what's amazing is when Peter asks to come out, he only, and he obeys only off of one word. Jesus gives him one word. He just says, come. In that moment, again, if it's me, I'm going, okay, hey, if it's you, command me to come out in the water. Come. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Did you say come or dumb? Because this kind of sounds dumb now that I'm thinking about it. I've been dumb before, okay, right? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Okay, did, did, did you say come or, or something else? Or Okay, wait, let me think. You know what? I should pray about this. Let me pray about it first. You know what? what is, maybe the word come is a metaphor. Maybe it's a metaphor. You know what? We should have a small group about it tonight. Disciples, we're going to study the word come in Scripture. We're going to learn all the Greek and Hebrew. It's going to be great. Right? But this is what we would do. We would start kind of double-checking. If anything, we'd say, okay, wait. Can you give me a tutorial first before we start? Right foot first? Like, how do I? I've never done this before. Can you give me a water-walking tutorial before I step out? Because you said come, but like, ah, okay, cool. What? Which dive in first? Like, how do I do this? And this is us, right? We we delay obedience. We we question. We we backpedal, uh, right? But delayed obedience is disobedience. And here is Peter giving us a clear example, and he's obeying on one word, which to me is incredible. And I think we we have to make every excuse not to obey what God has told us clearly to do. We delay obeying because it's, we're uncertain, we're consumed by our what-ifs, and so we stop, we don't finish, we stay in the boat, and we don't do what God has called us to do because we're locked in fear. Here's what we learned, though, from Peter. The only way to find out is to step out. The only way you and I are going to find out, because we can question it all day long. You can get every affirmation, confirmation. You can get every study, every prayer man. You know, hey, are, are you going to talk to your neighbor about Jesus? No, I'm praying about it. How long have you been praying? Five years. It's just, I really want to be sure. All right. But what if we just would step out? I find it really interesting here, too, as I'm studying this passage of Scripture, that when storms come, listen, it is not a time to distance ourselves from God, which is what so many of us do. It's not a time to, to go further away from Jesus and do our best to follow him at a distance. Instead, we need to press in more closely 
to draw more near to him and trust him with greater things. Often the decision, listen, the decision for, for getting out of the boat is usually between our comfort and our growth, our convenience and obedience, stopping or finishing. And here is Peter dealing with this experiencing this. And he starts to walk, and all of a sudden he slips. Jesus is right there. A little side note, isn't it great, though, that when he falls, he falls close enough to Jesus that he could, Jesus can reach him. He wants to be close to Jesus in the storm. So he catches him, and he says, oh, you have little faith. Man, I, I, I used to always think that was like a knock on Peter. I'm like, man, he just like stepped out of the boat, you know, like kick him while he's down. That's not cool, right? But as I dug more you know, into this passage and, and, and studied more and over the years, what I realized is so often when our faith fails, it's not the amount of faith. It's not the quantity of our faith, which is what we usually pray for. Lord, give me more faith. Give me more faith. But the Bible says if you have the faith of the mustard seed, you can do pretty incredible things, right? So it's not really the amount that, of faith that fails. Listen, it is the duration of our faith that often fails. We stop. We just stop. And he put a greater focus in the waves than he did in Jesus' word. And I, and I get it because that happens to all of us sometimes. But Jesus, listen, Jesus was not looking for Peter to be an incredible water walker. He wasn't looking for Jesus to be like the most, the world-renowned, most successful water walker on the planet that the world has ever seen. This was not the point of the passage. You understand this, right? It's, it's, the point is not to make him a super water walker because he was going to need it later in ministry, you know, when he's you know, preaching at Pentecost or when he's leading the, uh, some of the early churches. That, man, you're going to really need to know how to walk on water to do your, you know, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't the scenario to be successful at water walking. And let me just say this. God isn't looking for you to be the most successful mom, dad, husband, wife, business owner, entrepreneur, etc. He's not looking for that. God is not looking for me to be successful. He's looking for me to be faithful. Faithful. Faithfulness. Oh, man, I, I, it's like I just freed somebody today. Like, he's not looking for you to be the most successful thing that you, that you go and set out to be. And I, I get it. If you are, wonderful. But he's looking for you to be faithful with him. Faithful. Faithfulness. The late Jerry Falwell said, greatness is not determined by wealth, talent, or success, but by what it takes to discourage you. What it takes to get you to stop, to quit, to throw in the towel. God is never going to lead you into something that he doesn't want you to finish. In 1911, it was October, 1911, two men set out to do what no one else has ever done before, a South Pole expedition, to be able to reach the South Pole and come back successfully. It was 1911, October, there's two men, Amutsen, Norwegian leader, and Scott, a British naval officer. They both had teams. They trained beforehand. And when they set out, they had two different strategies. A Mudson strategy was what he called in his journal writing the 20-mile march. He would march 20 miles. He and his team, 20 miles regardless of the conditions. 
If the conditions were bad and the weather around them were bad, they would push to the 20-mile mark. But if the conditions were really good and they had the ability to go even further, to do 40, 50, 60 miles in that day, they wouldn't. A radical discipline, 20 miles. They got to the South Pole first. A Mutson's team, 34 days before the other team, before Scott's team did. See, Scott's team had a different strategy. Their strategy was, we're just going to do our best each day with what we've got. If the conditions are good, we'll go as much as we can. If they're bad, we'll just rest and, you know, sleep in or whatever. Like, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll just do that. So there are some days that they went 10 miles, other days that they went 50, 60 miles. I mean, it was just all over the place in the records and how Scott did this with his team. Well, he got... Mudson gets to the South Pole first. Scott's team 34 days later, okay? On the way back, Mudson, the 20-mile march, returned home on the exact day he planned on it, right? On the exact day they had planned on being back. His whole team survived. Scott and his team all died 11 miles on the way back, 11 miles away from the next supply depot. Here's my question I really want us to wrap our heads in. What is your 20-mile march? What's that 20-mile march to say, regardless of the conditions around me, I will not weary here. I will not get off path. I will stay the course. Faithfulness. What is my 20-mile march regardless of what happens around me? We can't control our day. Things happen. We can't control what happens to us. We can only control what happens through us, in us. And so we're saying, what is our 20-mile march? Maybe for you, it's a Bible reading. Our staff is going through the book of Proverbs right now. Maybe for you, it is a 20-mile, I'm going to make sure I do this every day. Just read it. Even if I don't understand it, I'm just going to read it. Because I'm not reading to finish. I'm, I'm going to read to change. I want to meet Jesus. I want to know Jesus. Maybe it's reading. Maybe it's serving. Maybe you want to serve. Maybe it's just attending church. I just need to get here. I, I just need to come. I just need to be here. And your 20-mile march is saying, I'm just going to show up every week. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's, man, my 20-mile march is hope first and, and giving to the church. And I want to practice because it's not about what God wants right from me. It's about what God wants for me. It's a heart issue. I want to learn generosity and I just want to give. And stay the course. What is your 20-mile march? Because I think Satan really uses these internal pressures in our life. No one knows. And it just goes and goes and goes. And, and then we lose it. And we overextend ourselves. And all those things happen. And Jesus is saying, listen, stay with me. Stay. What is the thing that is consistent in your life? Right? Because what successful people in the world's eyes, what successful people do consistently, the average person does occasionally. So what we're saying is, if you're going to walk with Jesus, giving, serving, attending, being there, leading, all these kinds of things, reading your Bible, walking with Jesus, we're saying faithfulness, consistency, my 20-mile march with Jesus, every day I wake up, and that's where I am. What's your 20-mile march? Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
Thank you for the life of Peter. And thank you for the stories that surround him, Lord, this internal battle that he faced and the actual storms that he faced. Lord, we want to learn from your word today. Help us to consider what is our 20-mile march. What do we need to do to stay consistent, to stay faithful? Lord, thank you for Grace Church and all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.